Good morning, gorgeous. I'm so glad you're here. If you're able, I really want you to go somewhere with me. Let's take a deep breath and go mentally to one of my all-time favorite places. Are you ready? (laughs) We're going back to the 90s. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I can smell my strawberry lip smacker from here. (laughs) And specifically, we're going to 1996. In case you need a reminder, ER and Seinfeld were the number one shows in America. Everyone, even your elementary school principal, was doing the Macarena. And the internet made a terrible screeching sound when you dialed up. Oh, and a certain president was fooling around with a certain intern, but we wouldn't know about that one for another two years. Now, the majority of our listeners are between the ages of 30 and 47. So I know you'll remember the 90s well, with a blanket of nostalgia. So imagine with me that you're in your childhood home, your bedroom. Maybe there's a Spice Girl poster or two on the wall, sync or Backstreet Boys are playing on a boombox, and you feel safe, normal, and settled. You're just a kid. But outside of that room, your country is in turmoil, and the downfall of that will affect your future in ways that your parents can't control. And now leaving is the only option. So at eight years old, you say goodbye to your friends, family, and the only home that you thought you'd ever know, and you move to a country where you don't speak the language, know a single person, and your whole world just got turned up on its head. And that is what leads us to our story today. My friend Erica is an immigrant. Her childhood was disrupted by things that she couldn't control, and she found herself in a new country where the American dream was actually within reach. Her story is fascinating and one that doesn't end with a green card. More curveballs were thrown her way with each life milestone, and her story is such a reminder that we are all facing battles, ones that are often unseen and undetected. And for someone who's an immigrant, Erica made the American dream happen. Her daughters are first-generation Americans, and she's a business owner. She and her husband, Connor, and another couple own Fertile Ground Beer Company in Jackson. I can't wait for you to hear this story. (laughs) Okay, welcome to our pajama party, our taxi cab midnight confessions, (laughs) our um, how many times were we sent to standards conversation it's the undelivered hello everybody Ashley how many times were you sent to standards more times than I care to count (laughs) I think I was only sent two or three times not that many no one I can't I don't think I've ever heard of anyone do you remember my friend Kate Robinson who spoke at the Blooming Girl last year Mm -hmm. yeah 15 times maybe 16 You know, I want to (laughs) say just from the vibe I got from her, like her personality, just you can't find a better human. You can feel her personality. And I want to say that I'm not surprised at all by that. Yeah. I bet she was the most fun. She was so much fun. Yes. Standards. I don't even think they took her serious by like the 16th time (laughs) that they brought her in. They were just like, hey, Kate, here we are again. What is there left left to say? Um, Hello, everybody. Thanks for coming back. It is eight o'clock at night. It's past our bedtime. 
You know what? I kind of like this though. Like, cause Do I you? feel like, am I, do I, am I screaming? Um, no more than usual. No, I'm just kidding. No, you're fine. <laughs> so like, I'm kind of feel like I'm coming down with something. So I feel like my ears are kind of, anyways, I feel like I'm yelling. Um, oh yeah. Cause like, you know, the day is done mm-hmm. right after this, I can just go straight to bed. I feel relaxed. I'm freshly showered. Yeah. I'm digging it. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll switch to a nighttime recording, but with my like, Oh, neurotic anxiety. I'm going to be like, before I go to bed, I'm going to be too hyper. I'm going to go ahead and start editing everything. I'm going to like, you know, you know, I'm going to, I know I am what I am. I'm sorry. I get it. I get it. (laughs) You're the reason this podcast is what it is. So you know what you keep, you do you boo. She says as she sips her beautiful glass of wine. Um, We are so excited to have y'all back this week. I've been so looking forward to this interview for a while. I have a sweet, precious friend who I just adore. You know, at this age in life, when you're like in your mid, early, mid, late thirties and you meet your people and you're like, oh yeah, this is, these are the people like you and I, Ashley. Yeah. Met over the internet. And we went, we went, we went in. Um, the same can be said for my dear friend, Erica, who's here with us, who has the most fascinating story. And I don't think she thinks that it's fascinating because nobody really thinks that their own history is like noteworthy, but that's why we're here because every woman has a story and I think it's freaking awesome. So we're going to get into it. Hi, Erica. Hello. Is it past your bedtime? Say again. Is it past your bedtime? Um, you know, yeah, I'm solo parent, my husband's out of town on a fun trip. So I'm thinking everybody's down. I'm looking at the monitor. So I think we're safe. And then the Fingers new dog, crossed. Okay. I know that feeling. Yeah. 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 So if you hear screams, we'll, we'll go from there, but yeah. Good to know. Well, um, the, the, I don't think it's a theme or like an overarching message for today, but ultimately everybody is facing something that you don't know about everybody has their thing you know that makes them different and and unique that we wouldn't necessarily know about when I first met Erica our dear friend Molly G introduced us and she said hey this is my friend Erica she's from South Africa and I went can you speak Afrikaans I was so proud of myself for knowing your language um but she can speak Afrikaans and so I'm so um excited can you just sort of tell us what you are comfortable with telling us about your life as, as an immigrant, really? I mean, up until you were nine. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think the, you know, the start would be the common misconceptions with the first questions, um, always being, you know, oh, your parents must've been missionaries. Awesome. Or point blank, but you're white. Oh, nice. Oh, like mean girls. If you're from Africa, why are you white? Yeah. So that movie came out, I think just at peak time for me, I had moved at that point. I'll get to that. But um, yeah, so you start with those misconceptions. When I moved, I was just doing enough to also want to lie to folks. It was two years after Lion King had premiered. And I just so, you know, willing to make friends, told everyone I had been to Pride Rock. I have seen Simba. I know Africa. When in reality, I've never actually left the country of South Africa. That is all I know. But um, my family goes back longer than most American families. 
are basically, you know, or have been in America. So we go back to, I believe it's 1668. Wow. My maiden name is Duplessis and the Duplessis came with the Therons. So Charlize and I, I would like to think we're cousins. I will claim her <laughs> if um, she ever, you know, called. Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, long story short, my specific side of that family came from the, the French Huguenot history, the French scattered across Europe. This specific subset went to the Netherlands. They said, we don't have room for you here, but we have this cool new colony at the very end of Africa as part of the Dutch East India Trading Company. So let's put all of you rowdy French folks on a boat and you go live there. So that's my family's background, but South Africa is a modge podge, like many countries, but there's a strong German influence, general European influence. And then because of the trading routes, you also throw in some really fascinating elements of the uh, Indian population. And then also the Malaysian, uh, more of the island type regions. So our cuisine, I think is exceptional because of such, such a unique blend. So you would get French style cooking, but with Indian twist, and then you'd throw in some fruit more, you know, from a tropical influence. So to go back, my family dates back, and that's a hard concept for people to understand if they're not familiar with, oh, is South Africa even a country? So if folks ask, well, what country are you from? Then I immediately know, okay, we're, you know, no, I need to show you a map that this is a country that I'm referring to. Or if they ask me, oh, do you know so-and-so in Nigeria? Um, um, I met a guy once from Egypt. Do you know him? That's just when I immediately realized, wow, you don't know how big Africa is. Um, People really ask you that? Yeah, yeah. It's concerning what <laughs> what geography skills people are walking around with. And it really, I mean, truly the U.S., having been moved here, the U.S. is very self-focused. I will say the rest of the world would school the U.S. on what they know on the rest of the world. That's true. The I, US that yeah, <laughs> own um, sports, its own leagues. It's very, uh, I want to say self-centered, but it looks inward. Whereas the rest of the world, uh, their biggest competitions are they are competing internationally. So you have country versus country for a rugby match or a cricket match or soccer. And I do think that that helps also promote just, you know, you're, you're rooting for your country kind of thing, but yeah, the rest of the world, I feel like is, is much more in the know of other global events versus I think your typical American, they're watching their local news. That's it. Man, that's sad. And welcome scary. to America. Hope you don't right. like healthcare. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, and I say all that to, to, you know, preface and to this date, everyone would still give everything to be here. And I know that that's a whole different, you know, avenue that people could go down, but I would say for the most part, you're going to find that that's true. People still would do anything to be here. Wow. Um, okay. Before you move on in your story, I just have a curious, how did you find all of this out about your family history? Is that something that's been like passed out? Cause that's like way, way yeah. back there. How did uh, specifically because we are on that French Huguenot line, they are meticulous with their record keeping. There are French Huguenot mm. societies. There's a specific little area in South Africa called French Hook 
that's where they kind of first set up their base camp of sorts. And so it was just really good record keeping and books. That's so you amazing. Go, per your last name, go look up all your folks. And my last name was, it was it's, it's Duplessis is my maiden name. It's a very common name. I mean, there's, there's a lot of us. It's, it would be no different from being a Jones Smith or a Brown here in America. Mm, wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. What are we going to ask? Um, can you just sort of walk us through again, what you're comfortable with as far as your personal history of what it was like to come to a, an entirely different country at such a young age where you did not speak the language you taught yourself to speak English by watching television. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and, and especially for young girls, you're already at such a delicate phase in your life, you know, and just sort of trying to be like everybody else. That's all kids want. And I think it's more so common for young girls, but you know, when you're in that prime age between like third grade and, you know, 50, <laughs> you want to be like everybody else. And then here you are dropped into the middle of a country in the deep South, no less of America. Um, and you don't speak the language. Can you just kind of walk us through that? Yeah. Uh, um, so, I mean, all of this comes also with the, you know, little asterisks that South Africa just has an extremely complicated history just with its people, its dynamics, um, where it's gone from an economic status over the last few decades. Um, at one point it was, you know, competing, you know, easily with all of the, the top global markets. We have such incredible resources, gold, diamonds, and we had this epic and very um, public fall from grace when um, people boycotted the entire country until the apartheid practices were done away with. So everything changed in 1994 when Nelson Mandela became president and apartheid ended. But as far as what that means for my family, um, just to, to paint that picture, I grew up more like most of our moms did or your moms did in the South. I grew up with record players when you guys were switching from tapes to cds oh wow um i was still more living in almost a civil rights era type lifestyle and the way segregation was being carried about while you guys didn't even know what that was yet you know for your studies class so i was more um in that mindset so um the, the country definitely took a turn just in safety um job security, just future prospects for, for anybody, any young folks. And so my parents had entertained the idea of, you know, the American dream, the rehabilitation act of 1994 was signed here in America. And there was a large shortage of occupational and physical therapists here. And so they pursued many South Africans kind of like, hey, look, here's a country of a lot of folks that would love some work visas. So they made it rain work visas. And these agencies would pretty much, you know, call out and you would apply. And so that's what my parents did. My mom is an occupational therapist. And so they did the application process by the end of 94, I believe. And it really got started 
1995, and then we moved to the States February 22nd of 1996. So again, for you guys, some of you were introduced at that point already to Google, maybe a home computer. That was not a thing that we had access to just right off the bat in South Africa. So we weren't able to Google, you know, what's the difference between this state and that state? So my parents kind of picked a spot just like, hey, we know where Memphis is. We've seen the Mississippi River on a map. So yeah, Jonesboro, Arkansas sounds pretty great. Let's oh go God. there. <laughs> so we Talk arrived about a the- culture shock. Yeah, oh yeah, my big gosh. One. And I need y'all to know too that the majority, and this is still true to date, regardless of how westernized other countries have been. Um, I mean, you can now access any fast food joint in South Africa. You turn the TV on and it's the Kardashians. Uh, you know, the, the world's gotten so much smaller in that sense. But um, to the majority of the world, everyone's a Yankee. Like there's no difference. There's no, you know, the folks are the same from New York to Florida. So for us, even coming from, you know, opposite seasons, we were prepared for, it is winter in America. We have to get ready. Oh wow! So when that plane landed in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, my dad was like, put your coat on. (laughs) It's about to be freezing out there. Oh no! And him and his frustrations just with our travel woes at that time, I'm like, I am sweating. And he's like, you keep that coat on because we had to go to a really nice shop in Cape Town to go buy some jackets for American winters. So yeah. Wow. (laughs) So then we go from Fort Lauderdale to Memphis. Uh, My mom's work agency was just phenomenal. Picked us up as we're driving in. They asked my parents, um, you know, what do you think about living in a dry County? And my dad just quickly responds with, you know, we're very used to, you know, periods without rain. This will Mm -hmm. not be a a big deal. And South Africa is an extremely social culture. So when they explained to him, like, no, sir, the nearest liquor store is 45 minutes away. That was when I saw my dad cry. Like (gasps) after like a multitude of like, it felt like two days worth of travel. I think that poor man had just, you know, (laughs) had it. And he was going to be stay at home dad all of a sudden. So at 38, this man who had worked his entire life, had to legally now stay at home. My mom was going to be the breadwinner because she was the one that held the work visa. That's a lot. Erica. Yeah. And they, they threaten you, you come in and they're like, sir, it is illegal for you to earn a dollar. And they put that fear of God in you that we will deport you. So he stayed home and he couldn't um, even drink. No. And his English has, and was always been the worst out of the, the three of us. So, um, yeah. So to, to back up from the English standpoint, because you did ask me that too, we um, obviously knew that we were going to move to the States. My parents got the additional channel. So we had two TV channels in all of South Africa. And then you could uh, buy an additional channel, think HBO, how you would pay to get an extra channel. And I think it was called ETV and it had all the cool American shows. And so at night we would watch, you know, Fresh Prince, The Nanny, Murder, She Wrote, uh, The Wonder Years. Oh my God. That's where I got a heavy dose of my English. They kind of assigned me um, an English speaking lady at my after school program. And I was in third grade for about a month, just the way that our school years run. 
And that is the grade that you would typically then learn the other language. So I was in an Afrikaans-based school. So then I would have learned English that year or the English kids would have learned Afrikaans, vice versa. But mind you, just because of the times as well, when I started third grade, I suddenly was in there with kids that had never attended school, that perhaps had never even owned a pair of shoes. And there are 11 national languages in South Africa. So we had, you know, multiple tribal languages. The majority of us are speaking Afrikaans and now we're all trying to learn English too. So TV was a big one. And then when we moved to the States, cable was cheap enough. We watched Nick at Night. You know, you catch on pretty quick. I think the younger you are, they say, I think before age five, you can learn up to like, what, three or, or more languages? I'm, I'm very so. far behind then. <laughs> oh my no, gosh. No. But it's funny, again, most of the world can speak, you know, English and then their, you know, country of origin language, except for America. We, we take that for granted for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my mom um, obviously could speak English, but I was very much the, the little spokesperson sometimes. So uh, yelling at, you know, a fast food restaurant, you know, our first experience there was fascinating. Um, when we got to the States, y'all would maybe just appreciate the story. They dropped us off. They were like, hey, we'll see you, you know, on Monday to my mom. They gave us a car and an apartment for three months until we could kind of land on our feet. We came with two suitcases each. Um, mm. And we walk into this furnished apartment and there's um, a note and a wad of cash. And they were like, hey, if you need anything, go to this place. And we came from a world with, you go to the butcher, you go to you know separate shops and the directions led to Walmart. Well, and there you have it. it. It was so new to us. We were like, this is phenomenal. You can buy orange juice and a windsuit and you know, a lamp all in one spot. There is no way I could have picked up a second language. Maybe I could, you don't know what you're capable of until you're like fully immersed in it. But I was such an anxious, driven, anxiety, anti-change child. There's no way. You shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, me. I just couldn't have color me shocked. I know. But no, there's no my baby problem. Uh oh. Okay, Brandon's on it. Um, well, Kyle should be rocking Sam to sleep. <sighs> yeah. I can't imagine. Like, makes me feel sad that I wasn't. Not that I was mean, but obviously we had a bunch of. They're not foreign exchange. Are they foreign exchange? No, that yep. means like they go back, right? Correct. Okay, so I guess, you know, like we had a couple of Hispanic Aww. kids in my grade. And it just makes me feel terrible. I should have like. Been nicer. nicer. Yeah. Well, not just be nicer, but maybe befriended them or tried to. Yeah. I was definitely my own little world in high school. Okay, Brandon, where you at? When I was in high school, I don't think she was a foreign exchange student. Maybe she was just super quiet or, or like not like an immigration student. But I did the the typical early 2000s 
you know, Sunday school thing to do. Go sit by the kid who's sitting by themselves, right? Just go try to be their friend. She freaking got up and left. Like I walked, I walked all the way across the cafeteria, sat down and said, hey, I'm Bailey. What's your name? She turned and got up and left. She didn't, she didn't want to be my friend. I mean, did she stay at your school? Like, yes. did y'all ever run into each other again? Look, so that's like one of the first times I remember seeing her. I'm like, oh, she must be new. Mm, I don't know. I just never <laughs> remember seeing her. And then our senior night award show, they like were all sitting in the auditorium. And when they called out like the big ticket, you know, smart kids of <laughs> where they were going to college and how much scholarship money they got. This chick stands up. I don't even remember what her name was, but it says University of Hawaii, $84,000 in scholarships. Oh and it's the same God. girl that stands up. And I'm like, well, shit, where has she been this whole time? <laughs> <laughs> okay, jumping back in. So can you just sort of explain what that feels like? Because I... And it's like I was saying to Ashley earlier, you, you don't think you could do things, but you don't really know until you're fully immersed. Because if you hear somebody else's story, like, oh God, I can never do that. I don't think that I would be as calm and intelligent and as a sound human and a good mother as you are. If somebody plucked me up from my home country, plopped me in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and then your entire family dynamic just completely changes at such a delicate age. So what just, what on earth? Like, are, are you okay? Cause I wouldn't be okay. <laughs> yeah, Even no. though you, you've had yeah. almost 30 years to adjust. I ask myself that daily. Um, I I've spoken to other immigrant children and I think there is very much a common theme of you step up. Um, there is a survival aspect to it. And until I knew I was going to come on the podcast, I realized how much I think I subconsciously did blank out. And I just left the good, the fun, you know, the, the lighthearted memories. So, um, yeah, it is a lot of pressure. Um, on top of that, just to preface, I'm also an only child. I think that would have been a different ball game had I had a sibling to rely on or what if I was the younger sibling, right. um, so that element is there. So the firstborn, you know, your typical, this crosses all cultural barriers. You want to, you know, perform, do good, kind of typical first kid um, personality. I am type A. <clears throat> so yeah, I wanted to show up for my parents. It was, it was a rough go. My mom had buried her mom about a week before we left. I was old enough at eight years old to understand that pain. That was a significant hurdle. Um, I am now the age that my mom was at that point. And that was a, a rough go just to kind of realize now I'm a mom of two, the sacrifices and choices that my parents went through to, to make that move. But I will also say that we weren't alone in it. So many South Africans were doing the exact same thing. So we got scattered across the globe and then wherever you land, you would also go and meet your other fellow South Africans. Oh, so wow. Jonesboro did have a community of other OTs and PTs that were South Africans. And many of them were the females 
that had the work visas. So the moms all went to work and the dads would hang out, still stay on top of South African sports. I think they all got bread machines. That's like a 97. (laughs) Oh, my mom had one of those. Yeah, they all had underlying depression. They still carried all social norms. So we were all together on weekends. You know, they would take turns doing their 40 minute, you know, 45 minute drive to the liquor store in the dry county. So we had that cultural element, but um, the kids would definitely have to kind of step up and via school or via extracurriculars kind of help integrate us into American culture. Um, I will say what helped me a ton when we moved to the States as well, just from a kid standpoint, was my public school system was phenomenal in that they said, you know what, Erica, you've been in third grade a month. By the time they then officially got me enrolled, I was basically in third grade there for maybe two and a half months. So they said, we need to send you to summer school. We're going to advance you next school year to fourth grade, even though you were in third grade for a few months. But we are going to send you to summer school and you have your own dedicated person, which is pretty insane if you think about resourcing. So I had my own teacher doing English, converting me from the metric system, sending me home every night with games of like, go play this game with mom and dad so you guys can learn what a dollar is, what's a quarter, you know, little money games. And so we did that. And my parents were, in my memory, who knows how much they were struggling when, you know, I was asleep, but so positive, so happy, just trying to make the best of things. Um, So I'll say on that end, I, you know, I was a kid. Um, I'm sure, like I said, I've maybe suppressed some of the stuff you don't want to you know, hear about, I was anxious as expected. My mom's, you know, psychologist friend before we left was like, oh, she's definitely anxious as expected. Mm -hmm. But my biggest concern was who's going to meet us at the airport. We don't know anybody who's going to be waiting for us. Who can we turn to if we need anybody? So at eight to be able to articulate that, I think was pretty big. Um, So did y'all leave your your grandmother just passed away, but like the rest of your family, did y'all, you everybody at that point yeah, was still there. I believe it was maybe a year and a half, maybe two years later. Um, my aunt and cousins were able to move to New Zealand. I had other family move to New Zealand and Australia as well. Australia has been a massive hub for South Africans to move into. It was just a little easier to immigrate into at that point. I have had other cousins kind of with the notion of if you can get out of South Africa, you do at any means necessary. Mm. Um, So I believe at one point, if you had money, maybe in the British banking system or something, it was easier to get student visas. So however they could, they would, they would scatter, but we were the only ones that came to America. That was the, it was like the golden ticket in Willy Wonka. That's amazing. Um, I read, you know, I love to do research on any little thing that I can. So I watched videos today on YouTube of Charlize Theron uh, speaking Afrikaans. It's a very rough uh, dialect. And I messaged Erica and I said, I would thought it would have like some French undertones to it, but it is very German. Like there's a rough tongue underneath um, the way that everybody speaks. It's quite guttural. And then we are an excited people, I would say. So I've had friends, you know, I'll get off the phone with my mom and they're like, are you okay? Everything good? I'm like, oh, I was just telling her what I had for dinner. It was great. <laughs> Wait, um, okay. So now I got to hear it. You got to say something for the uh, people. Yeah. I'm try- 
Oh gosh. This what did you have for dinner? Tell, just tell me what you had for dinner. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So finance on it was like, it was kaas, hunner, um, and chips. So I could eat a die kracht gehad vandag om kos te maak nie. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> to yeah, like and yeah. R, the r, yeah. Oh wow. Okay, so you had yeah. chips. You still speak it so we well. We like did. Now, I will say when I go back my my family will they, they won't make fun of me, but because I was only around my parents um there are words I feel like I came out with my own abonics type version of Afrikaans sometimes, or you can tell I speak as if I was stunted at third grade. Oh wow! Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, how many times have you been back to South Africa since 1996? Yeah. So, um, again, just because of immigration laws, they put the fear of God in you. Uh, of it's difficult to get in and out of the country unless you have, you know, the right paperwork. So my parents wanted to wait until we all had our green cards. At that point, you are then a permanent resident of the United States. And that just makes travel a lot easier versus travel visas that Americans don't even have to know about. With an American passport, you can just come and go. It feels like as you please for other countries, there's a lot more hoops to jump through. So we got our green card in 2001. And we did a big trip. Saw everybody had a big blow up party. That was really fun. I went back my senior year. My parents had the brilliant idea to send me back to find my roots. Oh, like your whole year or for just a trip? No, just uh, the month of December, all of Christmas break. So I hung out with cousins who were a year older. So I was 17. I was, you know, they were 18. Uh, We went to raves, a lot of, you know. (laughs) Tech music scenes. Um, yeah, different culture for me. So. so how was it though, being back after all of the, like this, the huge social change that happened over there? Like, how was it to go back? Yeah. You go with a small sense of guilt because you feel like we got out, you didn't. So mm. you're aware of, um, you know, I'm here spending us dollars we feel like we're kings when we go because of the exchange rate. So we try to treat our family, but you definitely have the sense of when I leave, for me, this is an amazing vacation. Normal life continues for you. So there is that element. Um, but otherwise there's something just always <clears throat> so beautiful about just being with your culture, your people. And it just feels right. So it's always really fun to go back. And then I've taken my husband twice as well. And he fits right in. Hmm. Um, in, in doing the research, when I was watching all the Charlie's Theron, uh, YouTube videos, I stumbled across a beautiful quote that I will always now think of you when I hear it. And it was, uh, the difference between a refugee and an immigrant, a refugee is always looking back, wishing that they could have stayed home. And an immigrant is always looking forward, excited that they get a change. Oh, I think that's gorgeous. And refugees in so many, you know, circumstances, there's a true evacuation element right. for whatever harm, natural disasters, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Wow. I love that. So you are in a new country. Don't mind, you know, that you're going to go through normal stuff anyway. You're going to go through puberty. You're going to have crushes on boys. You're going to want to watch 
all the typical spice spice world, you know, stuff. And you have to learn a new language and go to a new school and learn how to use new money and convert from the metric system. And then not too long after that, you discover that you have a, it is genetic. Yes. Your CMPD. Yeah. So we, we kind of suspected it. Um, so my dad has on his family side, it's a um, neuromuscular disease. It's a hereditary disease. And it's actually the most common peripheral neuropathy that is hereditary. And it's called Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease. It falls under the muscular dystrophy umbrella. And I have the most common type, which is type 1A. So um, yeah, on top of just being awkward and you know, sounding like a drunk Brit because the <laughs> African accent, you know, it doesn't translate well. It's, it's very much, it sounds almost like you're not cool enough to be an Australian. Oh no. But you're not British. So. Okay. Hold know. on. You just did that so fast. Is that <laughs> your like normal voice? Like, do you have to make yourself slow down and quote sound English? Not anymore. American English. I used to. So, so we lived, I'll back up just a second, but we lived in Jonesboro, like I said, um, until we got our green cards and then my dad was allowed to work. So we then moved to Meridian. So in Jonesboro, I'd made incredible friends, even though looking back, I was like, man, I was weird as all get out at that point, because of my nerve disease, I was falling all over the place, but I was still like hell bent on, I'm going to wear the Doc Martens that everyone's wearing, even though they are orthopedic shoes, they're so heavy. Yeah. So I'm falling all over the place in those. I was not used to uniforms or sorry, lack of uniforms. I went to school basically at like a Hogwarts style school in South Africa. We move here. My parents are like, you can wear whatever you want to school. So I was like, sweet. I will buy five different windsuit sets of different colors. <laughs> I'll just wear one. Cause I had uniforms just so ingrained in my brain. So you'd hear me coming, you know, swish, swish, swish. <laughs> hello, you know, <laughs> just you know this odd one saying I'd been to Pride Rock but somehow made incredible friends you know actually loved Jonesboro so then we moved in ninth grade so that alone is just hard for a girl to move at that grade everyone's already Mm -hmm. made like their close friends so we moved to Meridian that summer before ninth grade and I'm like you know what I and then Mean Girls comes out too but I'm like I'm gonna sound like an American I'm gonna fake you know what I have right now accent wise and it's stuck so oh my yeah. gosh um oh but what did you ask me you asked me a question oh about my nerve disease yeah so, <laughs> so I, yeah, got, so, I got sidetracked shocker yeah no because I, I I guess I wanted to preface I was already an awkward kid teen anyways you're already moving I'm like you know a great time to fake an accent to fit in and then on top of that I'm falling all over the place so um, you show signs of it kind of in peak hormonal changes. So sometimes around eight and then closer to more of the puberty type ages. So 12, 13, I had significant foot drop. Basically my brain was having a hard time relaying the message of, hey, pick your foot up while you're walking. And so I would just fall, you know. Um, thankfully, I think at that point I had already because of my immigration background, had to kind of get tough skin. And I grew up in a family where humor, and I think there's a lot of the South African cultural element to that too, but your humor can save you from anything. And so I would turn to that. 
and make light of it as much as I could. I can't but relate to that at all. <laughs> Say again. I said, I can't relate to that at all. No, 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 not at all. So yeah, you know, everyone's starting to wear heels, the kitten heels, you know, imagine anything in a deal. Oh, man. Nightmare um, the, for you. Yeah. No, the Steve Madden clog, you know, the black one. Oh gosh. I wanted it so badly. And I think I still have so much scar tissue in my ankles because <gasps> of twist my ankles in those. <sighs> And then my poor mom, you know, because she's fully aware, like, I think you have Charcot-Marie Tooth disease. Your dad has it. We've never you know, had you officially diagnosed, but, you know, maybe you shouldn't wear these kitten heels. And I'm, you know, being this headstrong teen, you know, yeah, it was tough. And then it, it peaked again in um, college. So 21, you know, 19, 20. So like that's all, real fun. All to- these like huge. Uh, yeah episodes of your life you're having like an extra curveball fun to fall in the grove on your way to class in the morning and you're sober oh bless did you get sent to standards for that (laughs) no No, i did not (laughs) could have (laughs) this girl's drunk at 8 (laughs) a.m so when did you get your official diagnosis and I mean, there's no cure for it. So what do you do to uh, not manage. fall down? Yeah, manage. Thank you. Not fall down yeah. as much. Yeah. So out of pure curiosity, um, when I went to, so I'm an occupational therapist as well, just like my mom. Oh. So when I was doing my master's at UMC in Jackson, I found out about a grant under the Muscular Dystrophy Association and my nerve disease falls underneath that umbrella. And just from a funding standpoint, because genetics testing often is not covered on your insurance, they paid for everything, the nerve conduction studies, the blood work, the genetics testing. And I got my official diagnosis, which is nice to have if down the road I ever needed it for any, um, I don't know, disability purposes, insurance, that kind of thing. And then because of that, we were able to get my dad in as well. And a doctor then obviously based on his presentation, he could get his official diagnosis as well. So so it's been beneficial. You say that it's like a, it flares during hormonal changes. You have two kids. Yeah. Excellent question. So the biggie is actually when, uh, when you have changes in your progesterone levels and so pregnancies, I definitely felt it as well. Um, I was a high risk pregnancy with my first based just purely on research with CMT folks when they have their kiddos and the risk there is actually that you um, could hemorrhage in delivery. Um, I fortunately had a great natural birth, no issues. So for the second pregnancy, they said, you're good to go normal birth and also had no complications on that one. Um, But during pregnancy, you know, and this is a hard question my husband always tries to ask me or figure this out because I've grown up with this level of pain based on what my muscles are doing the way my feet are shaped and it's the typical Charcot foot if you were to google it they look like little dinosaur claws I cannot wiggle my toes I have hammer toes I want to you know break through every single tennis shoe top but because I've only ever known this, that's my baseline. 
And so I'm not aware of what normal feels like. So pregnancy to me, I love being pregnant. I'm one of those, but the heaviness I would feel carrying or the leg cramps, the muscle spasms at night, um, magnesium oil did help some, but I could never say, oh, does, does that happen to you? You know, to my other friends that were pregnant at the same time, because I couldn't relate to what maybe they're feeling. And I have always been curious too, just from a pain receptive standpoint and because it's peripheral that maybe I don't feel labor pains as intense because yes, I have pain, but there's also a lot of numbness in my feet and legs as well. Okay. That's what, that was what I was about to ask. Like, I know that obviously there's, you have trouble walking, but you, the, it is painful. The pain comes more from the way my feet are now shaped because of the disease, but there is numbness associated with it because those nerves aren't properly, if you want to think about it, like insulation, Mm -hmm. super nerdy, but it goes back to the myelin sheath. If you remember that from junior high. So you have your beautiful nerve encased in a full myelin sheath. Yours is solid. Mine looks more like a sponge. Okay. There's holes in it. So that's why I was born and, you know, up to like age five, had beautiful feet, could run, could be barefoot. And then as those, imagine the holes in the myelin sheath developed, the foot shape changed, the atrophy in the lower legs, in the hands, in the wrist, then started. And so then comes more of the musculoskeletal pain issues or scar tissue and ankles from twisting them that often. How do you manage the pain? Again, I think I've just gotten used to it. Now there are other folks terrible. Um, yeah. that have varying degrees of pain. So it's very similar, I think, to a lot of folks that have more of, you know, arthritic histories or autoimmune diseases of various kinds. And so again, I think you have your own coping me- mechanisms. Um, I love a good bath, mm-hmm. but truly I, I, it's just, that's my norm. I think that's just my, my baseline where I function. What about your children? I may be getting ahead of all the questions Bailey wanted to ask. No, jump on in. You're hitting okay. all no. <clears throat> so, um, so were you scared to have children? Yeah. So we, we've established it's genetic. And I knew then once I found out the exact type that I had, that every kid, obviously my husband had no family history or indication of it, but every kid would have a 50-50 shot of having it. And so that is something that we discussed, you know extensively we felt called that we would love to be parents if you know that was God's plan in that capacity if I was able to conceive and that was something honestly that we just kind of put in God's hands of let's go for it and trust because my life is so extremely you know worth living um I've lived a beautiful life although you know you can write it down and go wow that's a story but um yeah, it was a risk we were willing to take. So I have two daughters. One, I am very uh, suspicious of if she possibly has it. Um, again, what I you know had issues with years ago, genetics testing would cost a ton of money right now out of pocket. So I haven't done my due diligence yet to see if perhaps there is a grant 
But even if I were to know right now, there is absolutely nothing I could do for her. She is not the type that would benefit from any orthotic or prosthetic device. Um, her ankles aren't necessarily loose to where she would need like an ankle foot orthotic. Um, as an OT, I'm already focused on you know, her fine motor skills. We have seen physical therapists in the past to address her gross motor delays that she showed as a kid in crawling then walking and then just balance in general. She does fall a lot. And that could be either that she has CMT or um, the hip sockets basically were shallow at birth as well. So yeah, you know, currently my daughter probably has the worst bruises she's ever had on her knees. And you look at her, especially as a girl, and you hurt for her mm-hmm. because I remember those instances. And then I think, golly, when you're older, what's that going to be like? Because thank God I was not going through junior high, going through the grove and had a fall when someone could just easily whip out an iPhone. Oh, Erica. So the idea of an elementary student having access to record my kid to to I don't know take advantage of of that vulnerability that's where my brain goes um you know shoes are cool right now like love the whole tennis shoe being caught like cool I'm not seeing a lot of people in heels at all I love this trend works in my favor flat boot love it you know I will buy her some cool kicks we can work on that you know um it's falls and you know thinking of y'all's podcast a big thing and Bailey and I discuss this is you you don't know someone's story until you start talking to them so I look like an American at this point I sound like an American I don't utilize a cane or a walker I feel like the folks that notice my limp I will always ask are you a physical therapist and it's usually the folks that know gait or can study gait pretty well because it's there, it's evident, but for the most part, you're not going to see me limping because I'm carrying a kid or a heavy bag or something like that. So it looks normal. I look like a tired mom, but yeah, it's, it's those other hurts that you don't get to see that, that I'm always aware of. Everybody has their own thing that they're struggling with, that they're carrying with them. And it's so interesting now to hear you tell your, a large part of your story. And now if you look at one of your daughter's and you, you hurt for her already mm-hmm. at the thought of someone, because she can't help that you can't help it. But now in the world and time that we live in, it could be more so thrown back to hurt her or embarrass her. Whereas it could have people, I mean, could have done the same to you. It just what it wasn't going to live on the internet forever. Yeah, no. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes personality wise, golly, if I had gone down this path and not that, that could have really messed me up. And not that it didn't. And I I definitely process things and I had to work on my pride and you get back up and you kind of make a joke of it. You know, everybody calls you Grace in junior high. Mm. Um, And you do so with a smile on your face. But um, yeah, in a world today that, you know, shouts acceptance 
I, I sometimes feel like we've actually moved backwards on a lot of those things, especially with girls, like you said, and, and the awareness of, yeah, I failed today. I haven't seen anybody else in my class fall. So she'll say that, but I also admire how tough she is. And, you know, she's like, oh no, that bruise. No, but guess what I was doing? I was doing this really cool <laughs> thing or I was trying to keep up with them or she'll own it. And I kind of want to keep, you know, that spunk and, you know, and encourage that kind of a, an attitude if I can. Right. What about your dad? He's, he's aging, but he obviously has CMT as well. So what can you, can you sort of look ahead to his generation and see how he's yeah. aged or what to avoid, what to do better. So you don't. End yeah. Up- Unfortunately, I can't with my dad. Um, they in South Africa, you know, I guess just with medical advances at that point in time, misdiagnosed him and believed that it was a full orthotic condition that his bones were just misaligned and we can go in there and hack away and move them and shift them. Oh no. And they did. So they operated on one foot. I believe it was five times. So at this point, it was probably over 20 years ago, actually. It was after we had moved to America. Um, he developed a sore on that foot and because healing had been compromised and just blood flow in general is a concern with, with the disease. He had a recurring wound that went on for about 20 years. So that foot was amputated in fall of 21. So it's been about a a year and a half now of um, continuous health issues with him, but as far as my diagnosis goes, looking at other folks who have not had any other surgical interventions, I have pretty much plateaued at this point. So that's encouraging. Okay. And it's not affected by age or say like what happens for like for women with your condition during menopause or osteoporosis after. Yeah. All that. Yeah. Um, I think there is a chance for, um, like age related scoliosis, um, yeah. Okay. And funny, our sinus cavities are a little bit bigger. So, um, that's just something we're kind of prone to perhaps for like increased sinus infections. Um, I have <laughs> not run into that, but, um, everything I can see about my type is I'm this, this is kind of it. So as long as I maintain my, my health, I would think, you know, beyond excess weight would probably be detrimental just from a joint standpoint. Yeah. Um, but just taking care of myself, remaining as flexible as possible. So as much as I wish I could do hit based exercises or more intense things, I need to stick to very low impact exercises like Pilates or bar style things, anything floor based, but it's the other types. Once you go down that rabbit hole of Charcot-Marie tooth disease, and you will see folks anywhere from using a walker at a young age to wheelchairs. Wow. Thank God you don't. Yeah. And that's also down that road. Yeah. To swallow of like, Oh, glad I, you know, got the dice on that one. But then I view it as this is my story. Um, and I accept it. I love it. It has done more for me in my line of work that Mm -hmm. I think this was truly my, um, my God mission. I am um, an occupational therapist, as I mentioned, but I am certified as a hand therapist, which is a specialty you can pursue after school. 
And my disease gave me more empathy than I think you could ever gain from a book. So because of the rise in autoimmune diseases and um, arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, all the various types, to get women to come to me and they're struggling with their makeup and opening it and fine motor skills or opening a package or that one shampoo container to give them the freedom of, hey, look at me, go get you a pump. And that I could then educate people on more ergonomic ways, not from something that I read, but of how I live. You just immediately buy into people's lives more when they can relate to you. So I fully believe everything I've gone through, that's that's my story for a reason, for purpose. And I've, I've I don't know, I think I've impacted people more so in that manner because of my honesty. Yeah. yeah. That's so amazing. Yeah. I know. I'm um, just like, I'm, I'm like, in awe of her. I love her so much. <laughs> I did. I thought of a quote I wanted to share with y'all that I, um, I like her. Are y'all familiar with Dr. Brene Brown? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I know she had a TED <laughs> that went viral. Ashley, Ashley, Ashley's like, no. <laughs> okay. Wait, but she went viral. What'd she go viral for? Cause I might know her. She, I think this was like, this was a long time ago. Like I want to say it was okay. like 2000. And, and it was a TED talk on the power of vulnerability. Um, it's worth watching, but she has a quote that I found uh, a while back that I've just always loved. Um, and it's that you either walk inside your own story and own it, or you stand outside your story and you hustle for your worthiness. Oh. And so I think that's where choice comes in. And for me, my faith plays a massive massive role in that but I own my story and I wear it with pride and that's not to say that I then have hurts of my own past or for my children or you know what might come but I I I love owning it whether it's anything from CMT we will face whatever we have to face with her if that is her path or with my immigration story that I would love to educate people on it. I think there's something so incredibly beautiful about Africa. I think everyone should have the chance to go. I want my children to go. I want them to see that culture. And I try to keep to keep that culture as alive as I can within my home, whether it's with food and music and the language as much as they'll let me read Afrikaans to them. That's amazing. Do they speak? Are you teaching them to speak Afrikaans? No, they have zero. Sounds so fancy. No, I wish I have all these cute children's books that family members would bring or I would get when I was over there. But um, no, at school, um, when everybody wrote their favorite book and they all wrote book titles, Margot just wrote English because her poor mom's trying to read to her in Afrikaans every night. <laughs> we, <laughs> we like the, okay. we like the English it, ones. Loud and clear, I will read to you in English. <laughs> oh, bless. I love it. You are absolutely incredible. And I would like to know, or you tell our listeners, you can do the condensed version. I don't know how long it is, but you said earlier in a previous conversation, when you move to another country, or maybe this is just the way that your parents did it, 
and and South Africa is a very celebratory people, a very heavy drinking, any excuse to get together and party. Um, leading up to your coming to America, your parents would have these big parties to sort of say goodbye to everyone. And then when they would leave, everybody would just like take a lamp, take a pillow. Like they would yeah. just kind of take your stuff because <laughs> you're not going to take it with you to America. Yeah, no, I mean, that's what we did. So, um, yeah, we came with two suitcases each and then I think a few boxes that they shipped, which like took forever. I remember that vividly, like it took forever to get here. Cause obviously that it like came on ship, I think, but, um, yeah, they, they had, I think a few, like one or two big house parties. We had a official big party at like a rented facility, think like wedding reception type thing where we said goodbye to a lot of our friends and family members. But as people left, yeah, they were just like, Hey, take what you want. And, um, you know, this probably stuck with me more versus like, Oh, you immigrated. How heavy was that? Um, my mom, was like, hey, make a stack of your toys that we are taking oh. to America. Yeah, that's... And they took from that stack. And my mom is just the most gracious giving person. She was like, we cannot ask for them back. I'm like, the hell we can't. Like, oh. I'm not asking for a lot. We're about to immigrate. Like, I need these toys. And she's like, no, no, let it be. And I'm just like, oh. So we would have, you know, your typical teenage fights, I think this came up as an adult once and just every now and then I will drag that up. Like you gave my toys away. Um, <laughs> so I'll drag that one, but yeah, they, they had all these big parties. Um, I've been able to track down a few pieces. Um, I asked my aunt um, for some prints that were in my childhood home a few years back and she had literally given them away like a few weeks before. Oh, oh man. And then they surprised me, her and my, another aunt tracked these down and mailed them to me. So those are hanging in my house. So it's very special. I will say, I I think, um, and again, this is not to compare, you know, the American standards to the rest of the world, but, um, I didn't grow up with a lot of the, the material, um, I, I guess, attachment, especially in the South, you carry grandma's plates with you until you die. And that just wasn't the case even then in South Africa. So moving here, I, I don't have necessarily attachments to a lot of things. Um, I think that's amazing because I think I think in America we for sure have that problem. Yeah, materialism, and I think it's definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's changed so much <laughs> since we were little. Like, there's just you know Amazon. You can get something at the click of a button, and if it breaks, mm-hmm. you can replace it like tomorrow. So. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's amazing to not be tied down to things. That's grown. I mean, the, the Western creep is real. Um, but yeah. Hmm. So that's your advice, I guess, if you, if you're listening and you're considering moving to a different country, have a party and then just send your guest home. (laughs) Clearing of the house with your stuff. Um, Party favors. Yeah. Here's (laughs) here's a couch. Thanks for coming. <laughs> I mean, I, I think a lot of people would actually just prefer to move like that. Really? Kind of yeah. Started. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So that's advice. Number one, if you're moving across the Atlantic um, and what about anyone who's listening, who maybe has a, a genetic disease disorder, do you have any, not necessarily advice, but you've carried your CMT diagnosis so well 
you wouldn't know it if you if you look at you um you're an incredible incredible mother to watch Erica Reeves parent her two girls it makes me want to be a better mom truly I mean that from the bottom of of my heart so do you have any words of wisdom for any woman who's listening that might have and you know not even infertility which will always be like our root cause for this podcast but fighting things that you can't see like you said we've all got a story and you don't know it until you just start undoing some layers yeah um so I am a big believer in you know like I said owning your story um I I have not subscribed to the victimhood mindset I know those are two um mind frames people you know camp themselves into but as a hand therapist and having walked people through many traumas and diseases, um, as an immigrant, you know, even mentioning the French Huguenot societies as, um, someone with a neuromuscular disease, having walked that path with friends, um, regarding infertility on all of those fronts, I would say, find your people find folks that are walking that path that you can walk with them because solidarity and being able to relate to one another, I think is key. When you don't feel alone in something, you have hope. Um, You feel like you can face anything then. So I think motherhood in general, and no, no, I, I make my mom mistakes on the regular. My insecurities are a mountain high, but motherhood in general really taught me how much I love the fellow mom community like what you guys are doing with this podcast I think that's the the key to to anything any any of your stories because like I said we all have it find your people that you can walk that path with for sure well I think that's a good of places any to end and I'm so thankful that you two are my people I'm thankful for all the women who listen to these shared stories and um, no matter what you are facing, um, find your people. That's exactly right. And I'm thankful that y'all are mine. So Erica, thank you so much. You have such a fascinating story. I feel like I could have, I could have kept going all night with this. I think so too. And next time I come over, you're going to read to me in Afrikaans and I'm going to sit there and listen. <laughs> Wait, you okay. listen. Yeah. How do, look- how do y'all know each other? We didn't even go there through Molly G. That's how oh, we wait, met. Yeah, we did go there. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Okay. Got it. That's okay. Remember now. Got you it. hitting the wine over there, girl? It's hitting me. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, the undelivered is uh, signing off because it is way past our bedtime now. Erica. Yes. yes. I'm so, I'm Thank so you, thankful. Erica. Yes. Thank you. That was fun so much. It was fun. We will see you guys next week. Y'all are so welcome. Bye.